Welcome to Bottle by Wine Podcast. My name is Frederick. Today's podcast is going to be together with a Burgundian winemaker. His name is Mark Heisman. This fun, love, caring guy from Australia and used to work as a winemaker for Yerriering before. But at the moment he does some projects and lives together with his family in Burgundy. And Mark also does some projects in Cornas. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I'm sitting here to be, uh, together with Mark Heisman. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. I'm doing very well. I had a huge tasting uh, with your wines previously today, and it was great fun. Um, so, Mark, you go back to your roots, where you're from, and what you've been doing all through your life until now. I've, in um, the short question. I, I'm, yeah, yeah a, a long question in a short way. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm Australian. Um, the accent sort of gives it away, but uh, apparently people think I've got an English accent now, and I'm, I'm not quite sure if I'm happy about that. But, you know, that's okay. Patriot. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was born in Australia. My, my mother's French. My father's Dutch. Um, and I... Uh, lived in a very mixed household with a lot of different cultures and uh, ideas. Uh, but I grew up on a, in a farming uh, environment. My father was a farmer. Uh, and uh, for, for a long time, uh, I thought that's where I would end up. Uh, but I refused the idea of farming at a young age and disappeared to this grand city and started uh, an industry of restaurants um, uh, which... Uh, was very good to me, uh, and I worked in some great places, travelled the world, uh, but ended up burning out very quickly ten years later uh, and found myself coming back towards agriculture. Um, I basically wrote to everybody in the Australian wine industry, all the great names, the Cullens, all these great names all over Australia, approximately 200 letters, and I had two replies. Two replies. That was not much of Two positive replies. That's two positive replies. I had replies, and I've still got them to, my, to this day. People who've now passed away, lovely handwritten letters back to me saying, thank you for contacting us, but um, we don't really have anything. Brush-offs, but nice, nicely done. Um, but I had a, an extraordinary reply from Dr. Bailey Caritas at Yarra Yearing, which actually was... 20 kilometres from where I lived as a child. 20, 30 and, kilometres. And you were born in? In the Yarra Valley, yeah. outside of Melbourne. Yeah. So an hour east of Melbourne, the Yarra Valley, I was born, and I had a job acceptance with Bailey Carriers. Dr. Bailey Carriers. And um, I, yeah, absolutely, I was, that's where I was going to go. I'd, I'd known the wines, I couldn't afford them, but uh, <laughs> was, was able to go and work with the man. Um, and it was a very clear position. I would be starting at the bottom, yeah. and I would learn, yeah. and um, we would continue like that. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was the, the first introduction. And to, that, to that was man. back in '99. That was in '99. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And it really was start at the bottom. That was the first time you ever did something with wine, or well, in vineyards, yeah. yeah. But I had a huge agricultural background yeah. with my father and tractors and working ground and. Hard work was not a, was not the issue. It was but learning. Yeah. I really had to come into that as fresh face. So I I was earning a little bit of money by then. I'd built a reasonable career in the hos, in hospitality, um, and then to uh, drop in at the low end of agriculture was quite a quite a shock. Yeah. <laughs> How was it to work with uh, Dr. Bailey? Um, he's he's tough. He was he was a tough man. He was. Uh, you know, an exacting man. Um, but at the end of the day, I I had an apprenticeship with him, and it was a uh, an understudy of a master. I was, in the true sense, an apprentice. Yeah. An apprentice where you study uh, your master, and you will um, work with him very closely and learn how he works, and then slowly afterwards you are given the reins. But only after a time. Yeah. And with those skills, I was able to then develop my own ideas and start developing what I wanted to do and then take, uh, continue what I felt was 
a direction for Yarra Yearing with him always in the background. Okay. And that was an incredible uh, opportunity and a turning point in my life uh, to have such clear, focused direction. Uh, and an apprenticeship is the best way to describe that. Um, the painters, yeah. the great painters, had an understudy. They were the master, yeah. but they had an understudy. And there are some famous paintings where the actual painter is not quite known. It's attributed to a master. But we don't quite know how much was done by the apprentice. Mm. So Funny. that's the way I see this education. I was terrible at school. Let me be very honest. My schooling was appalling. I failed miserably at nearly everything. Then we uh, too. Yeah. So so I really had to. Um, this was a new new opportunity for me to, to to learn something. How was it to work with wine at at, at that moment? I mean, well, I had been working with wine. Yeah. I had been working in some lovely places in, in Melbourne and, and in Europe, and um, I had been exposed to incredible wines. And I, uh, in one particular bar, which I shouldn't mention the name, in Melbourne, I was uh, in control of the cellar. So an order would come in from the floor, I would go and get the wine, I'd bring it in, they would present it at the table, it would come back to me, I would open it. Well, I had mark tax. Yeah. Every great bottle of wine got taxed. And then by the end of the night, I would have 15, 20 glasses in front of me in fine Riedel, looking at incredible things from Bordeaux, the Rhone, Burgundy, America, all over Australia. I have to thank the Australian public for that opportunity. We should put one or two words on what Dr. Bailey taught you as a, a printer. You were, of course, the printer, but... Two words or two. Uh, elegance, finesse. Which are the wines of... Yeah, Yarin. absolutely. Yeah. Um, finish a wine. That's a, one of his great expressions. Finish the wine. Finish the wine. Bottle it, finished. Yeah. Don't assume everybody has the capacity to age a bottle of wine for 10, 15, 20 years. Allow the wine to express itself in a way which is... Um, Drinking now has a potential to age beautifully, gracefully, elegantly, finely. I mean, it, these were his tenets to make things of great beauty, great elegance. Yeah. And Dr. Bailey, he passed away in 08. 08, yes. 08. Peacefully, at yeah. home, yeah. Uh, surrounded by the noise of the tractors, the vineyard. <laughs> I mean, uh, an, a, a, an emotional thing for me. I was there with him. Yeah, because uh, I thought so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he, he became a great friend. He was, he was a mentor, a friend, my, my master. I, d I don't like the word master, but it, it, it was such a, such a relationship. He was the Jedi. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was the Jedi master. Okay. And then what happened in, in 07? Yeah, so what, what, what happened then was that um, I, I was married uh, and the decision was to return back to Europe. Um, the idea of making wine in England at that stage didn't quite uh, intrigue me and I was um, far more engaged with Europe uh, for winemaking. Um, so my children uh, moved back to, to England. Yeah. I had a contact in Burgundy. We knew we were coming back, so I was already doing nearly double vintages through that time to create stock and build up a brand for when we arrived in 2009. And that was in 06 or 07? 07, yeah. yeah. So in 2009, I started my vinifications properly myself. Okay. And then from there, we've been slowly building up um, the, the, the portfolio. Uh, I started very humbly with a Bourgogne and a Gevray, and now we've come up in 2015. We've got about 10 different lines in, in the portfolio. Yeah, so, we're going to go through Yeah, those. so that's, it's, it's been a huge and massive... Um, but that was Learning in 07, so, so you still have it in, you have the location in Chevry, right? Yes. Yeah. And you bought what, you have a 
Uh, ten barrels. I had about ten barrels in total. <laughs> okay. Really tiny, tiny volumes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, we're now ten barrels. I'm at around 60, 70 barrels now um, in, in the current vintages. Okay. Yeah. So, from 07 to 09, you were still living in... I still live in Australia. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, that was pretty tough. There was a lot of... Lots, lots of, of flying. Fro- lots of to and froing. Yeah. Um, I had to rely on, on, on my friends in Burgundy to make sure that the wines were well taken care of. And um, I didn't want to go too large. I just needed to make sure that when I arrived in 2009, I would have something to start selling, something to start talking about. Um, and yeah, that, that worked. I, I walked, walked around the streets in London with a backpack and bottles in the back, knocking on doors and saying, how you doing? Here I am. <laughs> Remember me? It was Yarra Earring last time now. <laughs> Lots of bonus points for yeah. flying, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, you, so then in 09, then what happened in 09? You are, uh, you buy grapes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you don't own your wine yards. Tell no. me a little bit about it. So, well, Burgundy. Burgundy is a, a hugely complex uh, place, um, and anybody who loves loves wine uh, knows knows about Burgundy. But the complexities in Burgundy are are huge and many. Um, it's also pretty expensive. Let's be quite brutally honest. Uh, buying land in Burgundy really does take um, quite a lot of cash. Uh, and even if you have the cash, it's not immediately apparent where or how you might find those vines. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of people who've owned vines there for a long time. Um, it's, it's good business owning these vines, and it's not, so they don't often come, come up for sale. So I couldn't just walk in there with a huge suitcase of, of cash and, and wave it around and get some vines. Uh, it doesn't happen that way. So my, my initial idea was to come in straight away, buy fruit. I class myself as a micro-negotiant, of course. Um, which, which allows me a lot of flexibility um, and allows me to build relationships with, with these growers uh, and, and take it to, to, to a level where I understand what they're doing really closely. Uh, I'm picking the fruit when I feel it's, it's ready. I take the fruit back to, to my premises and then I can, I can uh, vinify the way I like. But I, I'm only making wine with fruit. I don't buy finished wine. I don't buy uh, juice. I only take real fruit. Yeah. Do you, how do you come in contact with all the, uh, the land oils? Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, <laughs> you're laughing. Gosh, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's connections of a connection of a connection. Yeah. And uh, apparently now everyone's comfortable that I pay my bills. And I think that's, that's, important. that's such a huge issue. <laughs> yeah. You know, are you, have you paid your bill? Yeah, well, he pays actually. All right, well, I'm, I, I could be prepared. Yeah. Tick one. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's a relationship with these guys. It really is understanding who they are and appreciating what they do with their vineyards. Yeah. There's stuff I've refused. Where I felt no, I'm, I don't like what they're doing with this vineyard. I want to do something very different, uh, and that won't suit what is coming off that off that land. So I've refused Gervais, I've refused Premier Cruz before because I'm not happy with what's going on. So the guys I am working with, I really dig their work. I, I appreciate uh, their work. We drink a lot of beer together. Uh, it's a common theme in my business. Is it, is it Forex or is it... Forex. Uh, Ooh, we could be friends. Or we, could, we could fall out at this stage. Okay. Um, no, no, but uh, lo- lots of different, different beers. We're, we're even looking at brewing some uh, ourselves, my friends and I, in, in Burgundy. In so, Burgundy? Yeah, making, yeah. making a little microbrewery uh, as a sideline business. But that, it's not that many that does that. In France, no. No. No, it's, it's growing. The, the craft beer, craft yeah. beer in, in France is definitely growing. Um, but it, I'd say we're a little behind Denmark or London, yeah. England. Uh, but yeah. It's more a beer country, so it makes sense. For sure. Yeah. Um, but look, the, the, uh, the accessing of fruit uh, and vineyards was, was 
quite a quite a job, and it's an ongoing job. It's a, a thing I need to constantly work with. I need to constantly be aware of 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 these people and make sure everyone's okay. Um, we 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 need to we need to work closely with them uh, to make sure that I'm getting what I need and they get what they need. Yeah. Yeah. So. Do you still harvest? Do you harvest the, the wines? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you work, do you work the, the wines? Or? No. I, um, I, the way I've set things up at the moment, I don't have enough time in Burgundy to, to take control of the vineyard and completely look after it. So I need these guys to do that for me. Uh, that's super important. Um, I want to... Uh, I want to... I want to I want to believe in what they're doing and and use what they do and make great wines from from those sites. Yeah. Okay. If you should go through all the wines that oh, it's going to take a little bit of story, but um, if we take the Burgundy ones mm. uh, first, how they are harvested and different, vinified from from each other. Yeah. Um, I'm quite, I'm quite reactionary to my wines, and I don't have a, 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 a real philosophy. My winemaking is on intuition. It's beaning those vines, checking out what's happening all year round, tasting, 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 and making a decision about when to pick. 2009, for example, my first proper vintage in Burgundy, I was really quick out of the blocks to pick. I was, you know, people were still on holidays. Okay. 2009 is quite warm year. It is. People still on holiday. Oh, no, there was crazy Australian out there picking Gevrey Chambertin. <laughs> but, but just because I felt, yeah, I've got to go in quick. I need to capture this brightness, this freshness. It was a reaction. It was a reaction to the year. It was a reaction to what I was tasting in the vineyard. And that's how I was able to uh, build my 2009. Hmm. Other years, I'm quite late picking. So I, I never, I never, it's sometimes it's like I'm there and I'm ready, everything's ready, the winery's ready, I'm ready, I've got pickers ready. And the running waiting. shoes are on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm waiting to pull the trigger. Yeah. And it's just me waiting. So it's never a sort of, right, I, this is how I'm going to do it this year. Yeah. I'm looking to do this this year. No, no, no. I want to respect the year. I want to respect, respect the vineyard. I want to respect the fruit that's been grown that year. Yeah. I can't predict or write a recipe for what I'm going to do in any given vintage. Mm. 2016, for example, I have no clue what will happen this coming year. We might have to search for a lot of fruit, but <laughs> considering what's happened <laughs> this go, year... We'll go back to the vintages also. <laughs> it, 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 quite crazy. So my white wine making um, uh, and my red wine making, we can, we can basically encompass that in a, in a couple of words. Mm. Sorting. Well, one word. Yeah. Uh, I pick very carefully. Uh, the white wines need to be picked and sorted and cleaned before they go into the bucket, then to the winery. Pressed uh, to juice, clarify the juice by settling overnight, and then I have nice clean juice to run off into my tanks or my barrels uh, to ferment. So um, I make an aligote, uh, which was... Uh, I've been playing around a lot with that particular variety been a hard one to find exactly what I wanted. In 2014, I made my, my first Aligote uh, commercially, and that was... Um, you done it for, for yourself? Yeah, I'd been playing around a little bit and sort of trying and trying different people. wasn't happy. I, I would sell it off in bulk or whatever, yeah. and 14, I got what I, what I needed. Excuse me. Um, and then with the Chardonnays, uh, I'm, I'm very, very strict also with the sorting, pressing, and then fermentation. But again, natural, natural ferments, uh, I'm not inoculating neither ferment nor malos. And sometimes malos take forever. 13, the 14 vintage was knocking at the door, yeah. and the 13s were still finishing their malos. I'm going, would you hurry up? I need the barrels, man. Come on, let's go. <laughs> That's a long time. 
Yeah, huge time. But I'm not worried. I, I don't worry. In the 13s now, we, 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 we tried, tried the 13. Yeah, we tried um, it. With, with all these great sommelier here in, 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 um, in Denmark. And it's just drinking beautifully. It sits in a lovely place. Yeah. The issue of having a long malo is not an issue. No. Not an issue. The wines, I think, and for me, uh, it goes a bit back to this philosophy. If the vineyards are well taken care of and the vines are healthy, the fruit's healthy, the wine is going to make themselves. They've balanced. We've got balanced pH, we've got a balanced acidity, we've got a balanced uh, natural sugars. What We don't need to do much. You don't use any, you only use natural yeast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I will chapelize. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I'm not scared of that. Um, uh, and that's it's it's more a tool again. I like prolonging a ferment for as long as I can. Yeah. So right at the end of the ferment, when there's not a lot of yeast left, I bang a little bit of sugar in just to make it go another couple of days. Okay. Bit risky. Yeah. Bit risky. Yeah. But that's and how honest. I play. And very honest. And, but that's how I play with my uh, how I play my winemaking. I like to take those risks. Because I feel an extended fermentation is going to give me more, yeah, more complexity. You also do, of course, you do Saint Romain, Santenay, yeah, yeah, two different plots, right? Yeah, in, in, in Saint Romain, I've got two plots, yeah. uh, Le Jaron and uh, Combazin. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Can yeah, you, can you talk about these two plots? Yeah, very, very different plots. Um, Jaron sits a little lower to Combazin. Uh, Jaron sits uh, quite in a, a little more of a narrow passage of the valley, the Saint-Romain valley that winds up to the Haute-Côte. Um, it's always cooler in Jaron. We're literally talking around the corner where Combazin rolls towards the west. Yeah. It, but it's warmer. It sits up a bit higher, a bit prouder on the hill. The sun will tap into it a little quicker. Mm. The mist burns off just that little bit quicker. The vines start working just that little bit quicker in Combazin. Jaron sits a bit in the cool, waits its time, and will get going at its own good time. Yeah. You can't rush it. They're totally different. Totally different. Yeah. I wanted, logically, yeah. commercially, it would be sensible to blend the two together. I make a Saint-Romain. Mm. But that's... Um, going against my ideas uh, for for my wine. Mm -hmm. uh, if the two wines express uh, a terroir in such a different way, I need to leave them alone. They're they're expressing something beautifully and individually on their own. Mm -hmm. Together, they didn't work. No. Where in other communes, uh, Gevray, for example, I have two parcels and I will blend those together because yeah. they make something far greater than the, the separate parts. So I really will look at each wine individually and make a decision on what should happen. And that didn't happen until bottling time. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I couldn't make that decision before. Did you try them ever blended together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, tried, I tried them at the beginning, blended together. Yeah. No, I wasn't happy with that. Tried them in the middle. No, I wasn't happy with that either. Tried them close to bottling. No, I'm still not happy with that. So just separate it. Keep it separate. Two keep twins. It separate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is a lot of extra work. Yeah. I've got two bottlings to do. Yeah. I've got two stock figures to take care of. Yeah. I've got two reports to make to the lovely Douane in, in, in France, yeah. uh, customs. Yeah. Um, so I've got lots of extra work. Yeah. But for me um, and, and my customers, uh, I think the idea of putting two wines out is something intriguing that people uh, can, can get excited about. They are totally different. They are really beautiful, both of them. I have my preferences, but yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. The room is always split between the two wines, yeah. And it's not, you know, one uh, is one better than the other. Okay, for someone it's better. We got different palettes. Yeah, and I love that. I mean, yeah. wine. We have this extraordinary business where it is about pleasure. Yeah. I'm not a surgeon. I, a surgeon has such an important job, a real job. I have a job of pleasure. I have a job of making something which is about pleasure and us in this industry. We are all about making these wonderful things possible for people to enjoy. That's, that's incredible. 
that is the beautiful uh, thing about uh, what we do. Yeah. You as a winemaker, me yeah. as a waiter or, or sommelier, we, we do something for passion. Yeah. Yeah. But and we're all communicators. Yeah. Whatever our angle is, we're all communicators about wine. And we never stop working. No. There's always something else to communicate. There's always other people drawn to wine, learn, want to learn about wine. Yeah. Come to Burgundy, there's so much to learn about <laughs> wine. <laughs> how, uh, how did uh, the people take you as an uh, uh, Aussie coming to, to Burgundy? Uh, look, the, the Burgundians <laughs> are cool people. Um, they're good? Yeah, they're great people. I've got some super good friends and um, uh, we're, we're great mates. We, we watch a lot of rugby together. We go to the rugby, we, you know, we, we, that's... Oh, France. It's yeah. also a big yeah, rugby country. Yeah, massive, massive. Yeah. Um, so, oh, for sure, look, they're, they've, they've, I've had the funny looks. Of course I've had the funny looks and people going, oh, <laughs> the mad Australian is out there. What's he doing? Picking. <laughs> He's picking. Why is he picking already? It can't be ready. Oh, maybe we should have a look. <laughs> yeah. So, look, of course... Of course, yeah. but I'm not the only Australian there. No, I'm, you're uh, a couple. There's a whole, there's a we've got a handful of Australians. There's a handful of of, of Americans. There's a Danish guy yeah. in uh, Rui, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Japanese, Japanese, absolutely. We're, look, Burgundy is an adventurous place. Yeah. Let's let's be very clear. We we have this idea of of Burgundy being about these old domains and families that have been there for generations and generations. Yes, you're right, but there's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of people believing that Burgundy can still evolve and yeah. do different things. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, it can. It's an amazing area. Yeah. What about uh, the Reds? Yeah. You, you start with the Reds. You start the first vintage of seven was yeah. the Bourgogne Rouge. Bourgogne and Geoffrey Champetain, yeah. 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 Gosh, I still got some of those bottles left. Not many. Um, I, I I have to sell my wine. I can't afford to hold large museum stocks. It's no. just not possible. Uh, we still have a little bit of stock. Yeah, at yeah, home. yeah, yeah. Just to have a look at what's going on. But yeah, um, yeah Bourgogne and Chevrolet um, Chambertin. Uh, the Bourgogne still comes from the two two parcels in Chambol and Chevrolet. Uh, I like those two parcels being brought together. They make a lovely combination. Bourgogne is a, a fantastic opportunity for a winemaker to play around a little bit, express himself uh, without so many restrictions because, uh, as I've already suggested, Burgundy has, a, has enough restrictions. Um, and and uh, Bourgogne allows me to do that. I don't do business cards, but I do Bourgogne. Yeah. And I like to splash the Bourgogne around. Uh, you never thought of them to doing them separately? No, no, no. Uh, I, I, no, uh, they work well together. Mm. So, all of a sudden, if I started making two Bourgogne from two different apple, uh, two communes, I, I'm would. just, yeah, I'm, I'm defeating what I think is important about Bourgogne. Keep it simple. Let's not get too technical about it. Let's have a great time. Let's have a good drink. Yeah. The, the yeah. business card. Yeah. Let's be an introdu introduction to maybe something a little more complex later on. But let's not forget it's the building box. It, it, it has all the parameters of, of great Burgundy. Mm. So people new to Burgundy, well, they're not going to start with a Grand Cru at 150 pounds. Mm. They're going to start at something which is maybe 15 pounds. Yeah. Uh, of course. Yeah. I would say with all your wines, it's... <clears throat> I would say they are... It's Burgundian, of course, so, but they are cheap for what they is. Um, there's something, I tried your wines back to, I guess it's seven years now, mm. oh nine. Mm. It's always stylish. Mm. It's always, we talk about the reds. Mm. For me, it's going to uh, Burgundy. It's like, okay, it's always red fruits and all these things. But you can go a little bit too marmalade, uh, a little bit too warm, a little mm. bit too much strawberry. I see your wines as much more cranberry fresh. Yeah. If you yeah, understand I, what I mean. Uh, yeah, and I think that's a great description of it. Um, I'm looking for a lot of energy. I like zest, I like zip, I like zing. Yeah. Pinot Noir, we have an opportunity. Was that three s sets? No, yeah, almost. I, I can't remember. I wasn't <laughs> even counting them. But, but we have such an energy in Burgundy. 
it's a grape variety which is capable of such versatility. And myself, as a winemaker, I feel I am uh, obliged to look at Burgundy from that angle, from the zippier end, the, the, the fresher style of red wine. If I want to make a big, heavy red wine, well then I should have probably gone and made Cabernet. And I've made a lot of Cabernet. Nothing against the Cabernet makers. I, I cut my teeth on first growth Bordeaux and Yarra Yearing dry red wine number one. Mm. That was Cabernet based. That was my thing. Mm. Hundreds of barrels of the stuff. Mm. But as a winemaker now, um, my, my, my preference is this energy in wine. Mm. And, and sometimes it's, a, it's a maybe a more a philosophy or a, a, an ideal or a, a belief, but for me, energy in wine is what gives a great meal, a great uh, uh, company, a, a zest, mm. a zest in, in 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 the in the world or, or in the in the surroundings. Uh, heavy, dull wine, I feel, flattens the environment, flattens your meal, flattens everybody. Mm. I like to be able to get up after drinking a whole bottle of my wine and walking. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What about the, the other reds uh, yeah. as you do? Because you do Volnay, Poma, Chery, Poma. I don't know how I... I didn't imagine when I was sitting in Australia thinking, gosh, yes, I'm going to go to Burgundy and make some wine. I thought, ah, oh, you know, ideally I would like to make a Pouli Maraschet, please, a Pouli Maraschet and a Gevre Chambertin. That would be a great portfolio. Two classic uh, communes. Uh, let's make them well. Gosh, I've, I make a, 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 a Volnay, a Pomar Premier Cru, Clos Les Arvelets, um, Nuit Saint-Georges, uh, Maurice Saint-Denis, Maurice Saint-Denis, Premier Cru, L'Echafaud, mm. Bonnemar, Grand Cru, uh, Gervais Chambertin, Bourgogne. Wow, for me, that's like a dream. It's a dream. It's like all these... Kid in a toy shop with all these <laughs> incredible things, uh, or in and, the candy shop. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's 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 I get to uh, make an expression of each of these different terroir in the way I see fit. Mm. And some, in some cases, I actually don't even have that much influence. Mm. The terroir is so abundantly powerful that it just does it on its own without really me being a part of that picture. What about all the, <clears throat> now we talk about, we've done it for many years, but the whole bunches, mm. uh, especially in Burgundy. Mm. Um, some of it you use whole bunches, some of them you, you use it in different yeah. Uh, yeah, percentages. Proportions, yeah. yeah. Um, and for me, whole bunch is very much a tool. Yeah. It is uh, a tool where I can help express what I feel is right about a, a certain terroir or commune or, or style. Um, because let's, let's be frank, uh, all, all these terroir mentions is really just a different style of an expression of one grape variety or two grape varieties. Yeah. Yeah? Uh, I, you know, sometimes terroir can be taken to a very weird, weird level. level. <laughs> yeah. yeah? And Agreed. I think we can sometimes break that down to it's a it's a Gevray style, and and within Gevray we have many different styles. Mm -hmm. But a whole bunch, really, for me, is something which or a whole cluster, several terms, um, allows me to to be a little more um, reflective about what's going on with that land. Mm -hmm. Volney, I really want to express seduction, loads of sensuality and softness, and and a ripe feel to the fruit, and then take it all the way to uh, Gevray, which can be quite sensual and muscular. Mm -hmm. I'm really looking to fo focus, focus those tannins and focus the energy of such an abundant style and just give it a, a fine skeleton to sit around. Because we're talking now of, of 50-odd percent in, in the Gevray on average, and you know, it changes every year, of course. never the same. Um, uh, and in a year which I feel has a, an abundant structural weight in Gevray, I want to focus, corset. It's like a corset, just to keep everything 
in line and keep it focused. Uh, and it's a, it's a great tool. Um, it's, I'm quite adventurous, I think, in my winemaking, is that I'm going to always allow um, uh, characters to build in the ferment very slowly. A whole bunch allows me to prolong the start of the ferment because we don't just have this immediate access to juice and fermentation. I'm not using a cultured yeast. There is another thing which adds to building the complexity in the wine. Uh, it's, it's a good tool, it's a good tool, but you need to be a little bit careful. You can't just go, right, I'll go 100%, I'll go 100%. No. no. So you choose from, from different communes, of course, yep. which one are suitable for yeah. each percentage. But then the, or year, the year will change it too. Yeah. Like in Volne, I've never done a whole bunch, but in 15, the abundance of fruit, and that comes back to walking the vineyards, knowing the vineyards, tasting, tasting, tasting. Yeah. On the day of picking, I'm going, ah, I'm going to have to put some whole bunch in that. Yeah. I just need to focus. I need to give a bit of precision to my Volne. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just going to be totally wanton. Yeah. Did you use whole bunch ever in, uh, in Yara? Ah, really interesting because we were working with Stork and it was something yeah. Dr. Caritas was always tinkering away with in his mind. Whole bunch was never the part of it. We never whole bunched until much later. But what we were doing was fermenting on stalks. So destemming, mm -hmm. stalks back in, fermenting on the stalks. Okay. Or what I call the tea bag method was we had a huge stainless steel pot where we'd ram it full of, of stalks. Yeah. Submerge it into the fermentation. Okay. And then take them out. When For how we, long? Well, sometimes... Two days, sometimes two weeks. Okay. Really, again, on taste. And this was the, the, the brilliance of working with somebody who I've insisted never... on tasting every day nearly everything in the fermenting cellar. I never heard of that. Yeah. 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 And it was a great tool. Yeah. And I, 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 I will start doing that. I'm starting now a, a new project uh, in the Northern Rhone um, for a Van de France label. Mm, and I'm going to start yeah. playing playing a lot around with, with some of those things. Okay. And techniques. Yeah. Let's talk about, we, we still stay in Burgundy, yeah. we go to, to uh, Rome, we go to the other projects afterwards, but um, vintages. Mm. I mean, doing, doing vintages in, in Yera are, now I'm not, I'm just generalizing, are pretty similar, isn't it? Or no. Not. No, no. Um, I, think, I think there is a... a a misconception yeah. that uh, the new world just has a generic number of vintages. It just depends on varying amount of heat. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a little unfair to places like the Yarra Valley, which where we did have uh, very different years. Take 2002, 2003. 2002 was cold, man. It was bitter. We it, cool it, climate. It, it is a cool climate. Yeah, it was cool climate. Properly cool climate. <laughs> But then we got in 2005 or 2003, oh yeah, we're talking top temperatures. Yeah. But then, you know, we get 2009 where we get an inferno roaring down from the hills uh, and, and crazy, crazy heat. Okay. So, if, if I could make one sem summary, it's uh, our management was of extreme heat. Mm. Where I feel in Burgundy, I'm managing extreme, the, the opposite. Yeah. Where in, in our trellising, our viticulture in Australia was about maintaining uh, shade and, and cool. Uh, in Burgundy, we're much more about the exposure and um, allowing uh, a, yeah, a lot more exposure and, and canopy thinning in, in, in Burgundy yeah. or France. But yes. Burgundy, yeah, the last. Let's go through vintages. 07 you started. Yeah. Which one has been the easiest? Which one oh. has been the hardest? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I dread th this particular question. Um, I don't know if it's my memory or maybe my brain doesn't quite work uh, perfectly. But I don't have an encyclopedic memory of all my vintages. I, I can't. I have references back to some of these vintages. And for me, it's very much not about being able to record verbatim 
a vintage. Every vintage I've had. There are people capable of doing that, and that's incredible. I think that memory and that knowledge of those years is incredible. For me, it's much more an instinct of each vintage having experienced it and then making those wines. Sometimes I'm not, I'm not quite sure why I've done something in a particular vintage. Why did I choose to do that? It was instinct. And I'm looking then to move on to the, move on to the next one. I, I, I think oh, I've done well. I know I can do much better than that. You know, I'm always searching. I'm always, always trying to reach out there and find out, have I, have I expressed this year? What, what made that different? Yeah, and I suppose if I had been writing down meticulous notes about this and that and a picking day after that, the variables become mind-boggling. Mm. Rain, heat, yeah. you know, all, uh, daylight hours, all these things. Mm. I can't ever... I don't ever think I will be able to be able to uh, uh, see all of that no. and use all that information. It's also huge information. Today. Massive, massive. <laughs> so for me, I'm, I'm, I need to work on what is strong with me, and that's intuition and, and a sense of what's going on. And it's, a, it's total, everything. Smell, ears, eyes, feeling. And I, that's, the, that's the way I work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for sure, you know, we, we, we have issues like uh, 14 with the, with the Drosophil fly. Yeah. Ah, incredibly damaging, very bad 2013 with, with really cold harvest period. Yeah. Uh, we see, I, I'm getting confused now, was it, was it 14 we had a very dry spell in the beginning or was that in 13, see? And they, but I know they were there. Uh, yeah, so that's um, 2007, reasonably cool. Eight was reasonably cool. Nice. Um, nine, super warm. Yeah. You know, it was the, the, the beach beachcombers vintage. Yeah. It was and easy. Ten. Easy. Ten, yeah. So Beautiful. 11, cold again. Mm. Um, then hail, we had consecutive years in hail in Burgundy. We've, we've looked at massive loss yeah. over consecutive years. That was years. my thinking about... Of saying that, okay, Yara Valley, yeah, it okay. doesn't doesn't have the. I mean, in Burgundy, except yeah. especially the last four years, huh. hail, frost. It's. I mean, well, come on, how many, how many, uh, how, how, many, how, many how many barrels yeah. do you make of of the half this year? Uh, Sixteen is particularly bad. Uh, we had late April. We had a massive frost incident um, of the odd 9,000 hectares in Cotton d'Or, 7,000 were touched by frost to some degree, by 20 to 100 percent. We're talking massive numbers, yeah. huge numbers. In my uh, Saint-Romain Le Jaron, mm -hmm. we can write it off. I think I'll get one barrel, which I should get 10. I'll get one. That's, that's massive. That's huge impact on, on the growers. Yeah. And it's more the growers. See, as a negociant, it's my business that suffers due to the lack of turnover. Mm -hmm. Where I've not invested in these vines, the, the, the agriculture, the upkeep. It's the guys growing the stuff that really hurt, yeah. that suffer. That, that must hurt. Like 90% income. Huge, huge. And you still need to look after the fruit. Yeah. You still need to look after the vines. Not as if you can go, oh, it's been frosted, I'll now walk away. No. No, that can't work. That just can't work. So that's pretty catastrophic. Now, I'm not it sure is. what happens. In, in Burgundy, we've all got our heads deeply stuck in the sand. Yeah. Nobody's really talking to anyone. <laughs> Everyone's flowering. We're, we're only just starting to flower now. Now. That is late. That is late. That is so late. Okay. So when are we going to harvest? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that is burgundy. Yeah, it's so pretty crazy, pretty yeah. crazy. So yeah, I, I, I take your point. The, the variations yeah. from year to year uh, are, are far more uh, expressive in burgundy mm. than what I experienced in, in uh, Australia. Yeah. yeah. 
what do you think about the burgundy prices they're going to reach? I mean, are they? Because your wines have always been very, see what it is, uh, pretty cheap, and you don't yeah. put the prices on, uh, um, on on that much. I, I think the first. But I'm going to be a bit controversial here, and I'm yeah. going to say uh, there's a, a level of profiteering going on in Burgundy, which I think's a little rich, a little mm -hmm. rough on yeah. the consumer. It is like the Bordeaux in yeah. the, from the O5s. As a negotiant, I'm my, my fruit prices are fixed by the average of the year, for the year. Mm -hmm. Now, as a domain, I don't have those fluctuating fruit prices that I, I as a negotiant have. Mm. As a domain, you have a very different set of uh, economics to work with. And I agree that you know the cost of the land is going up, and I agree that diesel's going up, and the cost of labor and all these things are going up. Mm. But, but there is a certain, if I can make money on what I'm doing, at the prices I do, mm. there are other people making a lot of money. Should be. Yeah. yeah. So I know that's not going to be uh, a happy thing for people to hear. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's that's the honesty. That's the honest truth. Yeah. I think. But I, and, and I want to put. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to put. I want to put reasonable price Burgundy in front of people. Mm -hmm. I want people to drink the stuff. I want people to pull a cork out and not feel like they've had to mortgage their children. I want people to drink a Saint Romain and just drink it yeah. for great pleasure. Okay, it's cost. Um, it's going to cost you thirty uh, pounds. I'm using sterling because uh, I can't reference to to <laughs> to, 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 to kroner. <laughs> but but um, uh, it's it's still a wine. It's still expensive. But people can at least get to it. Yeah, yeah. Better think it's so nice with your uh, Bourgogne Rouge. Hmm. It's really honest, really well balanced. It's all about the fresh fruit and acidity, mm. uh, about burgundy, yeah. uh, and for the price, it's perfect. Mm. Uh, at the moment, we sell it by the glass. It's like everybody, yeah, loves it, embrace and, it. But that's that's surely what it's about. Yeah, pleasure. Yeah, we come back to this point of providing our customers with something which is pleasurable and beautiful. Yeah. Sometimes and you need some wines not to think too much about. Yep. Yeah. But and still be I mean, serious. If you, still be well made, still of, be serious. Of course. But yeah. you make one barrel of Bon Mar. Mm. In 2016, maybe half a bottle. Uh, half a barrel. I, I, do, I might not even get it. No. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's crazy. Mm. Okay, so you also, of course, uh, as Aussie, you also have some uh, some some things for uh, the Shiraz or the Syrah. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to call it Shiraz, but yeah. you know that's only going to get me in a shitload of trouble with with a whole bunch of people all over the world. So, yes, so let's <laughs> I, call I, it Syrah. <laughs> I will I will stick with Syrah because I understand that's correct. Yeah, <laughs> even though I've been called incorrect many many times. Um, uh, so yeah, I have a project uh, as my negotiation business. Yeah. I can go and make corner, and my corner is uh, I love I love it. I love it. Is it because it's Shiraz, or is it that region? Ah, mm. oh, stunning! It's a style of wine that I'm always going to appreciate a lot. I love that decomposed granite feel in the wine. Mm. The 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 softness of Syrah, but then the spice and strength. It's a contradiction. It's fighting itself quite often. Uh, beautiful stuff. Mm. And making it is such pleasure. These vines are old. The, the, the berries are tiny. You pick it. There's no sorting. Great relief coming from Burgundy, charging down into corner <laughs> to make my corner. There's no sorting. Everything's clean. Burgundy, I'm scratching out and my hands and knees in a foot full of mud. And... and <laughs> there's mold growing everywhere and scratching that out uh, but yeah in, in Rhone I go for my little holiday it's just like a little <laughs> brief interlude in the sun sometimes <laughs> um, I'm painting Burgundy in a bad light there and that's not true but the, the, the change is huge yeah it is and it's a tiny project we're, we're talking a hundred dozen a year it's, it's not big 
that's not big. No, and I will try and grow that. Yeah. And the first vintage was 2010. Nine. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And how is it the differences between working in Burgundy? You always you just yeah. said it a little bit, uh, but it's pretty easy to work in Rhone. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, look, it's got its complex complexities too, but uh, to be able to just go down there and make that fruit without a sorting table, uh, you know, uh, what am I doing in Burgundy sometimes is the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, the, 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 the intoxication sometimes when you open a Maurice Saint-Denis Chaffaut and it just blows you away. It did uh, today yeah, for me, I, the Maurice Saint-Denis. It, it just amazing. is one of those things uh, that is always going to draw me back. But, you know, <laughs> I can find fruit in Northern Rhone. Yeah. So that's where my business will grow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, the Van de France. Yeah, why, why Cornell and not the Hermitage or... Access, access. access. Uh, Hermitage, you'll pay double the price. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to get garbage, mm -hmm. probably. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got to remember Hermitage, its original Hermitage... It's quite a defined area. Hermitage now is all the hill on sides that shouldn't be planted, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, but maybe I'm being controversial again. Uh, but we, we have such value, we've now attributed such value to certain areas that there's a greed element that creeps into viticulture, mm. where people will just plant and plant and plant and plant. And as long as the Appalachian law allows you to plant Syrah and call it Hermitage, we'll plant it. Yeah. Now, I think we're being a little unfair, but, you know, are the prices fair anyway? I mean, does it matter? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. So I, I like the humble, uh, and Cornar for the moment is quite a humble commune, and the wines coming from there are exquisite. Mm. Um, I really do look to express my ideas in Pinot Noir in Syrah also. Very much looking for the lift, the aromatics. Uh, these are really important in Pinot and also in Syrah. Mm. I really love that zippy, lifted characteristic of corner. Mm. Doesn't need to be a huge clunky machine. It needs to be lighter on its feet for me. I also have to be honest that it took me many, many years for me to understand uh, the Syrah. Mm. Um, I know for many people they will shake their heads or whatever, but some is it for some grapes. Right now I have the the love for Grenache. From yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, in some in, I've in the light. In, in, sorry. I've started a Grenache. Ah. Yeah. Where? Ah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is not coming into the podcast. <laughs> no, but it it took me actually since tasting tasting wine. I don't know. 15, 20 years. It took me two years, two years from yeah, 2014, but only from the Northern Rome. Right. Yeah. It is so characteristic. Yeah. Um, it is so much about Taiwan. Yeah. Um, and it's when it's well done, it's beautiful. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. And aged well. Mm. Really good. Mm. Love Silo. Yeah. Mm. Okay, you do uh, Van de France. It's mm. also from, mm. from the area? I call it the middle Rhone. I think we need to make a new zone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the middle Rhone. So it's between... So Valence. We're yeah. in Valence, mm -hmm. basically. So up into the hills towards Ardèche, yeah. you just start coming across a whole bunch of crazy lunatics with vineyards poked into little corners here and there. It's, I, I think they are still able to attribute it to a commune uh, or an AOC, but I really want to work outside of the AOC. Yeah. I like sticking my fingers up at people, and this really is my sticking my fingers up at the AOC system. Yeah. For all its goodness and all it's done for the wine world, there's also a load of garbage involved with it. So I just want to sit right outside of that system with this label of wine. And it's not even going to have my name on it. It's going to have my initials on it, nothing else. And the grape variety. I want to praise the grape variety. 
and say it, it's AOC, um, Van de France, very loudly. But I want to make it really well. So I'm making a Viognier. That's in 15, I made a Viognier and a Syrah Grenache blend. And, and it's between the northern and the southern, so that yeah, makes sense? Absolutely. And I love Viognier with a lot of zip. Again, we come back to these words. Uh, zip, fine, finesse, freshness, beauty. Even if it's Viognier, it needs to hold these things true. Uh, the Shiraz also, I'm not using too much whole bunch here. I want to back away from that a little bit more. Make it an enjoyable wine. Sit out on the terrace, drink it. 12.5-13% maybe, fine. And that is the new product in 2015. That's 15. for 15 vintage, yeah. So it's been bottled? Uh, no, no, no still, I'm going to... I'm going to... Uh, Viognier's in bottle. Okay. Viognier's in bottle. And sold. Yeah. I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm which, is, gonna... which is common, common, common for my wines. They seem to trot out the door nicely. <laughs> we like that. <laughs> Ever listen to the podcast? The most of the wines are sold out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like... What do you export? 90%? No, what? I, I'm very fortunate. I have um, a very uh, loyal private following, mm -hmm. and I do a direct sale yeah. method mm -hmm. for my customers. And that's, um, that's, that's such a great thing, but it's a private list. Mm -hmm. People just can't go onto the website and order the wine. No. Um, but then they have to engage in me, and I want to be engaged with the people buying my wine. People who drink my wine, I want to be able to tell them, oh, it's a shit year this year, 16, I'm really having a lot of trouble. Yeah. I want them to experience that. And they love that. People sitting in a bank or whatever. And then, um, so that's about one-fifth of my production is going that way. Uh, the other, the other four-fifths are um, export uh, to the UK, uh, Denmark, um, uh, Hong Kong, Vietnam, uh, California, Canada. There's a couple others in there. Holland. Holland. Yeah. What about back to Australia? We, we had somebody in Australia. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't last very long, sadly. I'm looking. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to be back in Oz. Uh, it gives me a reason to go back and see my family and go and see all my friends over there. Uh, and it, just, it justifies the, the flight. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, with, with two kids, is getting more and more expensive every year. Yeah. How old are they? They had 12 and 7. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And have no interest in wine apart from smelling and drinking their dad's glass. That's... Uh, <laughs> and I'm very a, happy. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My son too. Yeah. He, he was introduced to uh, Aperol. You know Aperol? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yesterday to the barbecue. He loved it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then he went to the, his, his room and uh, talked to some, some girls. Right, and, yeah, perfect. With the Aperol and then it was finished. And I was like, <laughs> come on, Linus. Come out. Yeah. Uh, so how, how is, uh, how is the, the, the Vendée France project, how, how big is it going to be? Well, I, um, I'm building my own premises now in, yeah. in Burgundy. I'm building my own winery and that's uh, an incredible opportunity uh, to build my own place. Um, I, I still pinch myself that the thought I will have a winery in Burgundy. Hmm. Ten years ago that just, just wasn't possible. Didn't, couldn't even factor into my imagination. And that's that's great. So the the Vin de France thing will be uh, a volume on a volume level, uh, but you know we're talking about in the tens of barrels, not the hundreds. We're talking maybe twenty, thirty barrels. Uh, that's that's it, and that's that's enough. That's fine. That's good. I don't I don't need to do more. I don't need to grow to a monstrous level. Uh, I'm at about a thousand, two hundred, four hundred dozen now. Mm. Uh, if I can build to two and a half thousand, that's great. Mm. I get, I get control on ev on everything, mm. the labeling, the capsuling, the corking, the, the packing. I do it all. Yeah. And I love that. I love to be involved in all of that. Yeah, that's important. Talking to my customers. It's, it is. It's so true. I mean, yeah. have a finger on the pulse. Yeah. All the yeah. time. Yeah. I read somewhere. Rom uh, it's Romania, right? Mm. You have a project in Romania. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm helping uh, a friend of mine, yeah. uh, Mitna, who uh, is a Romanian guy, uh, and he's based in London. And um, we've, uh, he's 
been very passionate, very passionate Romanian guy, and he really believes in his country. Uh, and I've now been out there a lot uh, mm -hmm. to help him set up this this business. Um, the terroir out there is super. It's great fun. Good, good, good land. Uh, and we can work with some incredible native varieties, which is so fresh. Fatesca Negra, Fatesca Alba. Mm -hmm. These are two local indigenous varieties, which are world-class grape varieties. They make great wines, really lovely wines. They're, unfortunately, Romania has a slight um, a history where the wines have been, let's say, complicated. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fine word. Residual sugar, high alcohol, VA. Yeah. <laughs> Shall all, I continue? All you know, that things. And and you know that's not what I'm going to do. I want to I want to look again at my tenants in wine: finesse, elegance, beauty. Mm. These are really important points. Mm. Uh, so yeah, we can do that in Romania, and it's possible. And we we've already brought out rosé, and the the first vintage is out in the London market already. Okay. We're selling. Okay. Uh, it's looking good. The wines look great. Uh, and I'm going there on Wednesday to to continue the work for this coming vintage. Uh, a lot of fun. So we're in uh, the Delamare region, uh, so that's northwest of Bucharest, uh, and our label there is called Dagon Clan. Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, Clan. Um, so we've planted vineyards, uh, we've resurrected really old communist era terraces uh, that were built uh, through through that period um, and we've replanted them. It's a spectacular site, really, really amazing site. Yeah. So it's like a 50-50 joint venture or what? No, uh, I'm, I'm consulting at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we'll see where, where that project goes, but uh, I, I need to keep a very tight eye on my business, my work, uh, I just, uh, yeah, I can't just be flipping all over the place uh, being a consultant winemaker. I hate the word consultancy. That's, I don't like it. Mm. I have my project mm. and I do this job in Romania because I, I love it. I really believe in it and we can make incredible wine. Uh, but my, my job is, my, my work is, is what I do in France. So what is the okay? The future of Mark Heisman is, is of course growing a little bit, yeah, but not that much. No, um, any other projects? No, you want no, to? no, 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 no. no. Uh, I think uh, wh where I sit at the moment, and um, I would love to buy some vines in Burgundy, uh, and I'm actively looking to purchase, uh, and that's a long drawn out process process um, but you know hopefully we get there soonish because um, that would be that would be an amazing opportunity to, to, to get hold of a little parcel of, of burgundy do you do you sell to the states also yeah yeah, yeah. so I'm in California yeah. uh, anyone listening uh, in New York <laughs> I would love to talk to you I love I'd like you know half the reason of being in these amazing places I love going there yeah I want to go to New York. <laughs> yeah, New York is a beautiful place. Coming to Denmark, I, I've, we've, I arrived on Friday night. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we've been cruising around Denmark, eating, drinking in some incredibly great places. Uh, the people are so genuine and warm and uh, giving. And the cooking, wow. It's what, five years, I reckon, that the cooking here in, in Denmark has just gone through the roof. It started in it started in 2000 with Noma, of course. Okay. But, yeah, yeah, but since then, of course, yeah, it, they were the ones that yeah. were the pinpointed uh, at that point. The local produce is amazing. Yeah, they are, and I know where you were yesterday, and it's a beautiful spot yeah. that you ate. And a local Pinot I tried from Denmark called Njord. Njord. I don't know. Yeah. N J O R D. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, uh, yeah. It's pretty good. Okay, yeah, it's pretty I, good. I tried some uh, Solaris the other day. I thought it was, uh, I knew what it was. Yeah. So I'm now promoting uh, Danish wines on the podcast. Uh, but it was uh, 
very similar to uh, Sauvignon Blanc, but not a new world, but more of a sunset. Mm, mm. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mark, I'm, I'm finishing off. Um, I just want to tell the listeners, uh, I mean, all the wines that I tried, actually, one question I have for you, because yeah. I did some, some tastings uh, with some friends, you know them, uh, we don't have to talk about them right now, but a couple of years ago in 2011, um, and I bought a Chevrolet Chabatin Claude de Base, which you made, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And 2009. That was yeah. And yeah. I bought that one, <laughs> put it to the tasting, and this was together with some really, really good friends on a Sunday at 12 o'clock in, during the midnight, and it was a burgundy tasting, and, <laughs> uh, and I took that as a, and that was in 2011, and everybody we knew, of course, it was, uh, it was burgundy, uh, but it said, uh, somebody said it was uh, Claude de Bay, somebody said it was a really, really high level of, uh, of, a, of a concrete. As known producer mentioned, uh, but nobody knows about you at that yeah. point. That was amazing. Um, you don't make it anymore. Oh. The sad fact of my existence in Burgundy is that I am the bottom of the pecking order. Yeah. Okay. I got access in 2009 to Claude de Bears. Yeah. Wow. 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 <laughs> wow. Wow. I've made Claude de Bears in my life. Wow. Uh, extraordinary. 100% whole bunch. 100%. I looked at it and went, my God. That fruit is perfect. How do I do nothing? How do I make that into something extraordinary without doing anything? It, it didn't have to do anything. It was extraordinary. It just happened. It just all happened. 100% whole bunch. 100% new oak. I never do that. It was the only vintage? Oh, no. The only vintage. Okay. So the friends that tasted that, uh, yep. I should have kept that bottle. I've got... I've got <laughs> 12 bottles left. Mm. That was a beautiful wine. Let's, in, come, uh, let's come back. Let's yeah. make a date. Yes. Let's come back to Denmark and I'll yeah. bring one. That's a deal. But to all the podcast listeners, I mean, uh, talking together with uh, Mark Heisman has been a pleasure. Uh, sometimes I use some, some words just to finish it off. It's like finance, elegance, beauty, and balance. All the wines that you make for me are those four things. Yeah. And um, thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks.